Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in Tech podcast, brought to you by SUNY Empire State College. Each month, one of the college's educational technologists interviews a faculty member and discusses with them any aspect of educational technology. We'll dive into why it's cool, and the way the faculty mentor uses it, and how you could use it too. This month is part two of our two-part interview with faculty mentor Joanne Kingsley about her use of Moodle and some of the basics of being a distance educator during this COVID-19 quarantine. Um, I'm going to skip over a question because I'm excited to ask this one. So when we were talking last, I had asked you about you know, the difference between synchronous learning and asynchronous as far as like online goes. But then you took the concept of synchronous and asynchronous to a whole deeper level when you started to talk about students uh, working with students just generally at a distance mm-hmm. and synchro- synchronously versus asynchronously in the moment or waiting for them to get back to you. Yeah. You think you could you could share some of that right now for folks? Well, let's see. I'm not sure 100% what we were talking about, but I just got off the phone with a student. I can give you this example. And we spent about an hour on the phone. Mm. And we um, have talked to each other maybe three or four times before this. Mm. So, and we're getting toward the end of the term. So we have a pretty good sense that we know each other pretty well, even though I've never seen her, (laughs) you know, I don't know what she looks like. Um, But, you know, she sends me papers and we talk on the phone and we talk about the papers. We talk about um, how she's applying the information. Mm. And that, that seemed to be something that I've noticed about myself in putting together the learning contracts for the courses that I offer is that I really want students to have a strong applied learning piece. So the synchronous, right, is where she and I are talking on the phone at the same time. And, you know, the learning and the communicating is happening together. And obviously asynchronous is where she goes off and reads something or sits with herself and thinks about it or applies it in a, in a setting. And that's that's her in her own time, right? So one of the things that I've talked to students about is, uh, because I do work in holistic healing, that the function of sitting quietly with yourself and really getting tuned in, this is, I think, part of what we talked about before, where if we get tuned in to the moment, right, and we get in sync with ourselves, then the learning can happen better, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think part of what we could say about this is that when we're talking about syn- synchronous and asynchronous, first of all, all we're talking about first is just the time aspect of are we actually you know, in the rhythm? Like for example, I had a student earlier who was gonna call me at 12, mm-hmm. he didn't. So at 12.30, he sent me a text to say, oops, I thought I was going to be back sooner. Can we do it at a different time? He suggested a different time. I said, no, but I can do it at another time. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, great. And then I looked at my calendar, and I realized I already had a student at that time. (laughs) 
So <laughs> this is the synchronistic part, right? Mm -hmm. Where sometimes it's just not the right time to talk to the person. Yeah, okay. That, yeah, yeah. that would be the kind of what we might want to call faith-based approach to trusting <laughs> that, that it's all fine, right? Yeah. And that I'll be able to send him a note back and say, okay, so I can't talk to you at this time, but how about a half an hour later? You know, because what we want to do, and this is really more to the point, what we want to do and, and what I realized I needed to do with him is I need to get to a point where he can sit at his computer and I can sit at my computer and we can do synchronous degree planning, mm -hmm. right? So that I can show him how the DP planner works so that he can search for his courses, so that he can find the policy on the rationale, so that he can find the policy on the gen ed requirements, mm. right? Because other times we'll talk about it, but we're not necessarily looking at the DP planner at the same time. So even though we appear to have synchronous interaction, if we're talking about a tool that not, neither of us are looking at, mm -hmm it ends up being asynchronous. Do you see what I mean? Because then when he goes back to look at it, it's like, oh, what'd she say? Wait, you know, how do we do this? Right, so that, so that it gets out of sync. So what we're trying to do by going back and forth with the, with the discussion about when we can talk to each other, it's when can we synchronize so that when I say click in the DP planner, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now you also mentioned teaching as I just and I just wrote this down in my notes you wrote uh, you mentioned about teaching as student orchestration yes can, right you can you talk a little more about that yeah and I and I could talk about it just from the point of view of one student but I think it's almost I'm going to just say it this way funner to talk about it as like a whole collection of students sure so um, you know, obviously with one student, we can say, well, where's the rhythm section? You know, what's the melody? You know, like in order to meet the guidelines, they all have to be in harmony. So we can talk about, you know, the overall piece that you're constructing at the end and that in some way the graduation becomes the ultimate performance, right? So you can play with it that way. Mm -hmm. But another thing that I've been doing is I've been looking in Banner because if I ask myself the question, who are my active primary mentees? Mm -hmm. Okay, it seems like a really simple question, mm -hmm. but the way our uh, educational tools are, Banner, which is the place that we would look for our, our primary mentees, has a listing of all the mentees that are in there currently, some of which are active. And they're not all active. Okay. All right. There's no indicator which one's active. Okay. So each time I look at it, I have to decide, is the first person active? Is the second person active? Is the third person? Is that a new person? Do I not recognize that name because that person actually never became a student? Or do I not recognize that name because that's the one that just came in my email yesterday? Mm-hmm. So the orchestration part comes from trying to figure out which instrument people are playing. Okay. Right, so which part are you playing? Did you already play your solo and you should have already left the stage? <laughs> right, because some of the students in there have already graduated and they don't belong in that list at all. All right. And so 
it's my job now to to see how can I and, and it's not just my job. All faculty members are doing this, where they're they're looking at the list, and we're at different times we share emails with each other about how to organize the list and how you can export it out to a spreadsheet, and then you can 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 deal with it. But that's the way the faculty members are conducting the business, right? They're they're trying to decide. Oh, so if you're all educational planning students, then some of you are going to be two credits, some of you are going to be four credits, some of you are introductory, some of you are advanced. And if you, you know about music, so you know that you might not want all the piccolos playing at once. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> right? Unless yes. you have a whole piccolo orchestra. And so, so you have to know, right? So you have to know as the mentor, like, do you want 20 students doing educational planning right now? Maybe not. Maybe you want 10 this term and 10 next term. And so that's the way we can break it down so that we can think creatively. And luckily we have that luxury of, of thinking creatively so that we can decide, oh, now I guess I'm going to have this student do two credits now and mm -hmm. research careers and then two credits later and actually build their degree plan. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I only recently learned that I could do that. So, you know, where I had been from in my training at Empire was you did a four credit course. And so then I learned, oh, other people do two and two. Gosh, I, di I didn't know that you could break it up. And so again, that's where the creativity and the orchestration and the, you know, that sense that we don't all have to be playing the same song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we don't, even, you know, we don't have to have the same tempo. We don't have to have the same rhythm. We can have syncopation, like what we were talking about before. Some of it can be synchronous. Some of it can be asynchronous. And um, depending on what our strengths and weaknesses are, we're going to support our students along those lines. Awesome. So, um, in the and to looking at the time here, I have one more question that I want to ask you because I was just so fascinated by it, and I feel like what you were telling me was so much is some, some, something folks really need to hear. So in, in the instructional design world, when we think of Bloom's taxonomy, we always are, you know, we're always focused on in course creation. We're focused on the goals and the objectives. Are the objectives meeting the goals? And what are your goals for a course that you're creating? So then the goals are always based on the top tier of Bloom's taxonomy, the higher level, what we call higher level thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And you have you have suggested something that most folks uh, in, in in the world of education don't always address when it comes right. to taxonomy. Can you can you talk about that? Yes, they mostly don't address it because they don't really realize how important it is. So Bloom's taxonomy um, has three levels, and what you're talking about is that the cognitive level is the level of Bloom's taxonomy that no, normally we use when we're looking at, say, the right verbs to put in the educational or learning objective, you know, how the person is going to do or demonstrate their learning. And so the, I actually have this book <laughs> that I got on uh, teaching in the three domains of learning and it talks about the other two layers. The middle layer is the affective, starting with A, affective, 
related to affect or emotions or motivation. And the, the, the earlier developmental stage is psychomotor. And so psycho means mind, generally speaking, or motor means movement. And so what I find interesting is that this Bloom's taxonomy, the three layers, what I sort of call full bloom, <laughs> uh, you know, teaching, um, it combines the exact same things that I use with the holistic healing. And that is the idea of the body, mind, emotions, and spirit, mm. that we're not just teaching the person's mind, mm -hmm. right? We don't just want their spirit to grow. We don't just want their body to be able to do more coordinated activities, but we really are looking for well-rounded students. So one of the reasons that Governor Cuomo and the people at the state level want to push the applied learning piece, and they want all SUNY graduates to have at least had the opportunity, even if they can't do it, to at least have the opportunity to do applied learning it's because they know that the psychomotor and the effective levels are important. Even if they never studied any of this and they don't know it cognitively, they know intuitively mm -hmm. that it's not enough to learn a theory. That it's really important that people actually can do physically in the world with people what the learning is, mm -hmm. what the idea is or what the concept is, right? So in the lower levels of the psychomotor, it includes things like um, what, what you could say is like get you ready, how do we say that? Get ready, get set, go, right? So before you go, you have to get set and you have to get ready. And that's like a psychomotor, emotional, motivational place. Mm. So just like if you're a track running on a track, and you get ready, like you get your body in a certain place so that when the gun goes off, you're gonna be able to push yourself forward in the best way. Mm -hmm. And we know that the people who aren't physically ready, that don't have their shoes tied, <laughs> didn't you know, take their last sip of water, whatever their physical things are, like if they don't have those physical things ready, it's hard for them to get set up and have the motivation and the confidence to say, all right, I can go forward and do this. Mm -hmm. So learning, especially the way we do it, really does rely on this. And we, we see it now, especially that people are kind of spun out into their homes because a psychomotor way of looking at what students are going through now is the question of, do they physically have a computer at their house? Mm. Do they physically have Wi-Fi access at their house. Because they may understand cognitively what to do. They may have read the books. They may have their thesis statement all prepared for their writing. They may want to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, affective level, they may have the desire to be successful. But on the psychomotor level, they might not have a computer <laughs> mm -hmm. that their physical hands can be on to do the work. And so depending on how, like what age students were looking at or what their educational background is, some people can spell, some people can't spell, some people understand organization, some people don't. 
and and those are oftentimes fundamental skills that really come from those lower levels of psychomotor and affective because let's take for an example a student who comes from a traumatized background they may have feelings of not being safe or not knowing if it's okay to sit quietly and read without someone yelling at them like there's we don't have any idea all the complexities of people's lives so mm -hmm. sometimes when we're talking with students about did you understand the assignment they may be more concerned about the fact that they were warm, they were fed, they felt safe, they had a place to be, their kids were safe. And once they have those more primitive levels satisfied, then it's easier to remember the complex abstract policy from 1952 or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so so people learn based on what, you know, this like developmental level, right? So just like in holistic healing, we talk about energy centers in the body, and we know that they correspond to the endocrine system, and those are related to all the different hormones for, throughout the whole system, whether it's the hormones that help us go to sleep and wake up, or the hormones that help us feel alive, or the ones that are going to help us you know, have more children, like there's all these different hormones that help us and, and chemicals and neurotransmitters. So the physiology, the physical reality of where a person is when they sit down to do their work really matters mm -hmm. because we cannot turn on our cognitive brain when all of the other levels are not satisfied or if people are in stress or crisis or don't know what, you know, if they're ever going to get a paycheck again, right? All of these kinds of things that right now people are, you know, showing us they're extremely real situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I fully, I really stand behind that because, you know, that's something that we can really look at uh, as instructional designers and educational technologists, you know, not, not ruling out, you know, everything, but the, the top, cognitive displays of describe, synthesize, analyze. Right. There's a whole lot more that has yeah. to go on before. Right. right. So everybody who's doing any kind of support work for students right now, whether it's the tech people, the academic support people, the, the student success people, the accessibility people, any of the groups that are doing support, without maybe even knowing it, they are accessing those first levels first, right? Mm -hmm. Are you safe? Do you have food? Do you have a support system? Yeah. Is your computer turned on, right? That's like the, the famous tech, yeah, <laughs> tech yeah. question number one, right? <laughs> you know, is it turned on? Is it, are all the connections made? Yeah. You know, and, and we can't assume that even for our own selves. Right. You know, like, the, you know, when all of this change around happened, like I had days where I was like, I need to connect with myself, get synchronized with what I need, and then I can get back to learning the next software or figuring out the next tool. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm hmm You have been listening to the Teaching in Tech podcast. Thank you to our guest, Joanne Kingsley, for speaking with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, join us again next time and recommend us to your friends and colleagues. To learn more about educational technology at SUNY Empire State College, visit the link in the description, www.esc.edu 
forward slash ed tech.